Hi, and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm Brian, your host, and I hope you're keeping safe and healthy out there uh, in these difficult times. But while you're either bored on lockdown or you want to, I don't know, listen to a great interview, we're here. We've got a great guest. We've got Mr. Jack O'Halloran. Yes, none from Superman 1 and 2, the lovable villain in the house. So please give the episode a listen, uh, like and share, and drop a review on the format that you're listening on, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, our episode is brought to you by the wonderful people at Prop Store of London. Uh, Give their site uh, a go at propstore.com and you'll find some absolutely amazing props that you could buy, take home and have on your wall with pride and as always they're doing their um, their payment plan at the moment uh, so you can spread the cost of any prop uh, that you want to buy from them so that's over two months to six months so you can spread that cost and get something you know that little bit more special so sit back relax and enjoy our interview with the lovable villain from Superman 1 and 2 Mr Jack O'Halloran Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe. Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. But thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast. Um, this is an absolute honour, and it's definitely uh, made my birth birthday, you know, one to remember for tomorrow. Um, you know, talking Happy to. Happy birthday! Thank you very much, sir. Um, All right, twenty-one. Uh, oh, I wish, I wish. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what, I've got grey hair. I've had a very hard paper round, as they say, and I'm going to be forty-one tomorrow. You know, You're I. I feel I feel twenty one to be fair. <laughs> well, forty one, you're still a baby. My God. <laughs> um, but no, I'm married. Got two little girls. Uh, one called Lois, after after Lois Lane, and uh, one <laughs> called and one called Cara, my two year old. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know how I got away with that, but um, yeah, I named my kids after um you know lovely characters from the film that really shaped my childhood and uh, shaped my future um so let's get to know you jack a bit better because everyone knows you from the iconic movies of superman but you know not a lot of people um really know that you used to be a professional boxer back in the day i mean how did you get into boxing i you know i was playing football and um and I got disenchanted over uh, – I was with a team in Philadelphia, and they hired a coach that traded away a lot of great ballplayers. And and Muhammad Ali had just won the title. And I said to some friends of mine, you know, I could beat that guy. And next thing I knew, I wound up in a the gym. They said, what a good idea. Let's try you out here, kid. So and I was a tough kid in the street. So, yeah. next, you know, I'm, I was in boxing, and – and in those days, you couldn't, I couldn't box amateur because I was always con- already considered a professional athlete. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm one of 10, I think, heavyweights that ever uh, reached being a, a world ranked fighter without boxing amateur. Yeah, I mean, is 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 boxing uh, the same over there? Because I used to box uh, amateur, and it was done by your weight. Um, you was matched with someone around the same weight that you would fight with. Is that the same concept well, yeah, over yeah, the in the states? Yeah, the divisions, middleweights, you know, light yeah. heavyweight. You know, you you have to you have to be a certain weight to fight in a certain division. I mean, years ago, there there were guys who were 160 pounds used to fight heavyweights. Wow, so, wow! Uh, I bet they, that didn't end right. <laughs> they, had, they had some great fighters in, in the old days. Harry Gibbs, he he fought. He fought. He beat a lot of heavyweights. Yeah, I, he was only a waterweight, and he came up to middleweight. Then he was he just he boxed all over the place. And, they, and even in London, even in England over there, they had a couple of tough, tough guys back in like uh, eighteen ninety and 
early 1900s boy that fought a lot, a lot of different weights. But yeah, you're right. It's all divisions. It's the same in England. You know, it's, and I boxed over there in Albert Hall. I boxed at a Grosvenor House. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what was your best fight that you've ever had? Um, you know, uh, that, that that really, really comes to mind. I fought so many guys. I mean, I fought them all. I just, uh, I can go down the list. I, I, from Foreman <laughs> to, to uh, Cleveland Williams to Alvin Lou Lewis, uh, Joe Bugner, uh, Danny McAlinden, Carl Gizzy. Carl Gizzy was a champ of Wales. He was a hell of a fighter. I yeah. beat the Grosvenor House. I mean, I was I, I was watching a bit of uh, footage of you uh, with Foreman, and wow, you are an absolute machine. Um, you know, why did you why did you stop boxing? I had a, I had a disease I had a disease called acromegalia, which is a tumor of the pituitary. And right. They and I was uh, sixteen and zero when I started out boxing. And, and I went to do a physical one day, and they told me that I had this disease and I shouldn't be fighting at all. Right. Because it causes uh, mental depression and stuff like that. And the guy said, how do you ever get up? How can you get up to do a fight? How can you mentally prepare yourself to fight? And, and, and in those days, you know, I was, because of where I come from, boxing was like a day job. You know, uh, yeah. I had to have a day job or the cops would be all over you. You know, so I, uh, and I never really, if I would have, Train like these guys do six weeks and two months and three months and stuff like that in camps and all that shit. No, I've never lost a fight. But I used yeah. to take fights on a week's notice. You know? <laughs> wow, a, I a week's notice. Ohio, and they offered me a fight in Ohio, I take it. You know? Yeah. If I, you know, it's uh, it's like when I, when I boxed over in, in London uh, in the 60s, I was the Craze were good friends of mine. Really, Craze. I knew the Nashes from Northern London, the, the Richardsons from South London, Joey Pyle yeah. from South London, David Barry from what? I think Dave Barry's the only one still alive. He he ran, he lived in Bayswater and ran in West London. Yeah, uh, and he was the boss over there, boy. I mean, you just never. David was a funny guy, and, and the Craze were good kids, you know, and they were boxing yeah. freaks and. I'm from East London, and you know, and Terry Downs was a dear friend of mine. Yeah, and, you know, so you, you know, you, you just you're running around with a bunch of hooligans, you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> in London, back in the '60s, London was wide open. I mean, my God, you it never went to sleep. Yeah. London was one of the <laughs> most safest places for a woman to walk any time of day or night, except for maybe Brixton. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it, it was a safe place that they ran their manners very well. I mean, you wouldn't think. Of committing certain crimes in 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 sections of London, yeah, without getting somebody up your nose. I mean, they really took care of their own. They really did. I mean, it was uh, you wouldn't have house break-ins and stuff like you have today and stuff, you know. And and you never Bobby's never Bobby's never carried weapons. You only yeah, had one, right. one crew that called them the Flying Squad who yeah. carried guns, and uh, you know, and they were all interfaced. You know, they the 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 craze. Had a lot of political protection, and so did the yeah. Nat. And, and and Richardsons were a strong bunch of guys out of South London. So you know, you had it was a, and they were they were they were good guys too. I enjoyed a lot of them. I had a lot of fun with them. They, you know, Ronnie Ray was Ronnie Ray was, Ronnie was totally nuts. He was crazy. He was, was he? <laughs> I used to go meet him. I used to go see him in Broadmoor. Yeah, and they had. A, they had the Yorkshire. It was the guy was a Yorkshire Strangler or something. Uh, it was a oh yeah, Ian Ian something. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah. They were Broadmoor together, and, and <laughs> this guy would sit over the table away from Ronnie, and and he'd be staring at Ronnie, and Ronnie look over, and this guy, I, 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 he actually wet his pants one time. Ronnie looked at him, <laughs> you looking at me, my son? You you got your eyes on me? I said, I said, I said, fucking puffed her. He said, I'll whack him. Said, 
<laughs> Do you know what? I, I can remember years ago, um, I was doing uh, at university, I was doing theatre and education. And uh, I'm originally from Nottingham. And uh, we went to Nottingham Prison. And one of the craze were in Nottingham Prison at the time. Reggie. Reggie. Yeah. And, yeah. And I can remember having to walk around the courtyard. And he was in the courtyard all by himself. And one of the officers said, Do you know who that is? And I was like, Who? And he goes, one of the craze and you know as a as as a child my dad never let me watch the film the craze and uh, when i was older i watched it and do you know what you know they only looked after their own yeah they got up to a bit of bad stuff but you know what as you said almost themselves there was all themselves that's exactly correct hey the funniest part of the craze is was their mother yes Their, their mother was a trip they were she grabbed them by the ear, walk them down the street. Yeah. Right. A proper, a proper on, Ma, like, hey, like Ma, East know, End. Said, Don't you sass me? Oh my God, I used to laugh like hell. Boxing for you was obviously a big part of your career as you're getting oh, older. Um, yeah. And then you transitioned into acting. And in 1975, uh, your acting debut was in Farewell, My Lovely, with the wonderful uh, Robert Meacham. Uh, how was that transition going from boxing you into know, acting? They, they tried to get me in the film industry for like several years. They offered me The Great White Hope with James Earl Jones. Yeah. And... Uh, and some friends of mine actually wanted to get me off the streets so they made the deal with Fox. And and I and I turned it down because I had just knocked out Manuel Ramos, who was ranked number two in the world. I'm looking to fight Ali, and they wanted to send me to Spain for six months. I said, I don't think so. And so <laughs> and, and then I – but the first guy that tried to get me in the industry was Steve McQueen. He did a picture called The Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, and, excellent movie. And we took care of him up there. And he and I became really good friends. And he said, you know, come down on the set. I'll put you in the movie. Come back to Hollywood. Man, we'll have a ball. And Steve was a good guy, crazy as hell. And, yeah. and I just said, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm undefeated as a heavyweight. I, I like what I'm doing. And I said, no, you got a, you got a home out here in Hollywood. Come. And I turned it down. And when I turned down a great wet hope, he jumped, he jumped up and down. I said, what is wrong with you, man? And he did a picture called Towering Inferno, where his name was Captain O'Halloran. And he called me on the phone. How you like your name up on the screen? <laughs> so I kept turning him down. But when I retired from boxing, they came to me to do uh, Farewell, My Lovely and uh, with Mitchum. And I, uh, I said, you know, maybe it's time I take a shot at this. And I went out and did a screen test. And Mitchum said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. <laughs> and what what was he like to work with? Because he's a bit of a silver screen legend, isn't he? Robert was Robert was was a prince of prince of men. He was he became like a father to me. He was a, a great mentor. If you ever had to have a mentor in in a business, Mitchum was Mitchum was a great mentor. He um, he just took me right down the street, showed me things that I needed to know, and uh, and it was it was it was a great learning experience. I remember. I remember one day I was walking off of the Goldwyn lot one time and the editor, the editor's office was right by the gate and the guy stopped me and he said, uh, Jack, he said, this is the first time you've ever worked. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm sitting here cutting this picture. He said, and uh, I got to tell you something, young man, you're going to be a hell of a star. And I said, really? I said, so I, so I went to Mitchum and I said, Wow, man! I said maybe I should go to UCLA and take some elocution lessons or, or acting lessons or something like that. And he said, uh, "Stick with me, son, and you'll far through silk. Don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to be fine." <laughs> and uh, it was good, you know. He said, "They'll either ruin you or you'll ruin them." He said, "Just keep doing what you're doing. You, you're good." And and it worked out really well because you know working with. Some of the people that I've worked with have been fortunate enough to work with in my career, like Mitchum and, and Jimmy Coburn, Omar Sharif and Brando and uh, Terrence Stamp. Uh, you're talking about some great actors, Gene Hackman. Uh, and it was, you know, you, you learn from every single picture that you do. And, you know, you but you have to have the core deal. If you learn from the beginning in a proper basis, uh, there's things that they just can't teach you. You either have it or you don't. It's either 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 you have a presence on that screen and the camera either loves you or it doesn't, you know. 
and and you have to learn how to do it. It's just, mentioned first thing he ever taught me was, you know, don't let me catch you doing what thousands of people do in this town, acting. Just be yourself. Take that character, put it in you, and walk down the street like you. And and that's exactly what, you know, so it works out very well, you know? Oh, that's awesome. The Farewell I mean, was a great movie. I don't know. Have you ever seen it? I haven't seen it, no. Farewell is a To be honest, movie. I'm going to make yeah. sure I do, to be fair. Great English actors, uh, Charlotte Rampling was right. brilliant. She's she, what a what a what an amazing lady. She was brilliant. I'll she, definitely put it on my list. Definitely. Uh, it's a, I'll tell you, you'll enjoy it. The music is great. Yeah, great film. Thing is, they don't make films like that anymore. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know not. now it's all CGI and it's all you know, yeah, action and everything like that. And I, I, I think they've lost their way a bit. Um, uh, the actors, you, know, you don't have, you don't have people, the actors are different. You, you know, you don't, yeah. I, I enjoyed working with old timers because they were, were people that were established and around the business. Like, you know, we did Farewell My Love, but we had an amazing cast. You're talking about Robert Mitchum, John Ireland, Charlotte Rampling, Anthony Zerby, Harry Dean Stanton, I mean, I could. Uh, they were just a great cast in there, you know. It's just uh, we we and the picture, of course, it's like two five to do. I think two million five, and it had four Oscar winners on the crew. Gene uh, Talavera's did the won the Oscar for The Godfather for set design. The, the cinematographer was John Alonzo, won the Oscar for Chinatown. Uh, the, the makeup guy was an Oscar winner. The editor was an Oscar winner. I mean, and they all come to work because of Mitchum. Yeah. You know, Mitchum That's drew a crowd, boy. You know, he was uh, he was like a magnet. He, he was a, <laughs> such a great actor. God, he was good. And obviously after Farewell, My Lovely, you, you appeared in a, a lot of movies uh, before you became the lovable villain non in Superman 1 and 2. And you even worked <laughs> with Superman co-star Gene Hackman in March or Die. Um, Correct. Uh, what was the audition like uh, for Superman? Um, we, were, you know. we were doing March or Die, Gene and I, and they uh, yeah. they called down to Spain. I think we were in Morocco or Spain, and they wanted to fly us up to meet Donner. Um, and they sent me the script. I read the script, and, and Richard Donner wanted to meet me. And so we flew up to London, and uh, and I liked the I liked the character because you know, they, like Donner said to me, "How do you?" feel about doing a guy who's a mutant i said i said jackie gleason did a picture called jigo where he played he won an oscar for playing a deaf dumb mute i said if i ever get an opportunity to play a character like that where i'm using body language and facial expressions and stuff i would embrace it man you know and and along comes this non-character who who uh you know terrence was a vicious general sarah was a man-eater Somebody yeah. had to relate to kids because it's a big kids movie. So I said, you know, I'm going to take this big brutish guy and I'm going to play him like a child, <laughs> learning how to work his eyes and learning how to, you know, walk and talk and uh, and show adulation to Zod and all that stuff. And and he and he said, wow. So we did it and it worked out. Worked pretty good. Worked out pretty well. Do you know? Do you, do you know what? Grow, growing up um, as as a child. I, I got bullied quite a lot and I got bullied up to the age of 14 because I had a really bad stutter and I had a lot of speech therapy and I went into performing arts myself to, to you know, to get, to work on my speech and my stutter. And, you know, as a child watching that and, you know, I had nowhere to go, you know, I hardly had any friends. And I've got to say, I used to, uh, I used to watch that movie and think to myself, uh, I wanted a friend like Non. <laughs> and you know, your the way that you portrayed Non, I just think's awesome. Looking back now, and how I looked at Non, you know, I felt sorry for him because Ursa and and Zod were a bit mean to him. Um, and all he wanted to do the best best he could, and I just think it was awesome, and it really really helped me as a child, you know, to escape. Hey, you'd be amazed. I, you know, I remember doing the first comic cons I ever did. Yeah, and people would walk up to me and they and they, my God, you really can talk. 
<laughs> and, and people would come up and say, well, yeah, well, I loved you. When I was a kid, I, you, know, you scared the hell out of me, but I loved your character. And, and, you know, it's, it's great that, that you realize that you, you actually put that across the way you wanted to do it. And then it worked out really, yeah. you know. And it definitely impacted a lot of people because you're definitely a fan fa- favorite from what I've seen. You know, uh, you know, from people talking about conventions and of the movie as well. I mean, when you started on the film, what was your first memory of walking on set? Well, the first first eleven days of filming were with Brando, because right. he they, they had to get him on film to get the money. You know, yeah. and uh, so I, and Marlon was dying to meet me. You know, Mitch told me to go down and say hello to him. You know, he said he's a good guy. Go down and tell him I said hello and stuff. So I went down on the set the first day that he was coming in because I wanted to meet him myself. And uh, and he was surrounded by press people and all that. And he saw me and he stopped. And he ran over and he, hey man, how you doing, bud? And we became really good friends. And he because uh, he was he he loved New York and 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 the gangsters and stuff back there. My father. Was Notorious gangster, so. <laughs> yes, and yeah. we're going to talk about that shortly, uh, about your book. Um, but talking about Marlon Brando, um, you know, he's such an icon. Uh, were you shocked to see him reading his lines from cue cards? Because, you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, we, I was down on a set watching him work one day because I used to love to sit and watch him. He was just, he was, yeah. And there was one of these guys who was like Mitchum. When he walked on the set, you could hear a pin drop. People respected him so much. I mean, he just had that aura about him. And and I went down and was sitting there watching him work one day. <laughs> he, he was doing a scene, and, I, and he was the only person I ever saw do this. And he was doing a scene, and they, um, he had cue cards everywhere. Man, they were, Jesus, God. And, and and there was a screw-up in the camera. And the guy said, oops, man, we got we to break, take a break and do it again tomorrow. It's a like hell, fix that camera. And he turned around put his back to the camera and then turn back into the shot and finish the shot. And, and he came off the set and, and I said to him, you know, I said, I guess a lot of people would be a little nervous to ask you this, but what the hell, what's with the cue cards, man? I said, are you so bored with the industry that you got to have all these cue? Oh no, Jack. He said, I, I started that with mutiny on the bounty because I didn't want the camera to make it look like I, I, I had rehearsed it, all the lines. I wanted to look like I was taking them out of the air. And I looked at him and I said, you're so bullshit. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, and he was a great Shakespearean actor. And yeah. he ripped off a couple parables of Shakespeare and he, and he looked at me and he said, that you must know word for word. This shit, piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> because when when I heard that he, he read from cue cards, I went back and watched the films uh, really close, frame by frame, and I swear that you can see his eyes reading uh, lines. <laughs> well, but to be honest, to say that, he was trying to say that that was the look of him looking in the air, trying to find <laughs> words to say. You know, <laughs> he did so many great performances. I, you know, yeah, <laughs> he's he still was, a legend, though. He's still a, le- you know, he's still going to be remembered for many, many years. He did um, when he was younger. He did a, an audition one time in New York. For a, yeah. I think it was a play, and he 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 did a, an audition as a a burning flame of a candle, and he did it so well that the people watching the audition opened their shirts. They started sweating. <laughs> they thought they were in a flame. <laughs> he, he just he had that great method acting about him. Boy, it was just uh, he was a gas. He was he was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun working with Marlon. Marlon was a good guy. And, um, you know, after watching uh, the Richard Donner cut of the movie... Much better, much um, better. Do you know what? I was really shocked to think, wait a second, the Salkines got rid of, you know, Donner and replaced him with Richard Lester. Well, I mean, stop and think about something. Superman 2, the Lester cut. How do you cut Marlon Brando out of a picture? I know. I know. And they did that because they didn't want to pay him the points. He had already been paid. I mean, the footage was already paid for and everything. Yeah. But they they didn't want to pay the points to him. So they cut him out of the movie. I mean, I, if, if you think about what they did, how they, they, they screwed up a franchise that would have been 
If Donner would have finished two, he'd have done three, four, five, and six. He was Superman was in his blood. He yeah. loved the he loved the project, and and it would have been a much different franchise. You know what I'm saying? So they just shot themselves in the foot because they were greedy. They owed Richard Lester a picture. Yeah. And uh, and Lester was like night and day working with Lester and Donner. Donner was Donner is a brilliant director. And just knows the industry. And Lester was like a TV director. You know, it was uh, yeah. It was just like hey. I mean, what 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 was uh, Richard Donner like on on set? Because he comes across as if, you know, he works really really well with actors. Because I know that you get some directors that are awful, well, and then you, you get look, some it, that are fantastic. It, 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 you take a kid like Christopher Reeve. That was his very first major picture. Yeah, he got a performance out of Christopher Reeve that. Christopher never did again. I mean, he did Superman and Clark Kent so well. Yeah. And and it was and the difference between Superman two and Superman three and Superman four uh, were totally like night and day. You know. Yeah. Donner Donner got a performance out of Christopher that there'll never be another Superman that will do what that kid did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, Reeve. As uh, as as always, been my my soup, Superman. I mean, don't get me wrong. I quite liked Brandon Routh in Superman Returns, only because it was more of a homage. Uh, sorry, if you can hear a child crying in the background, I think think that's Kara <laughs> testing her lungs out. Um, uh, so in Superman so Returns, she's a lot of the child. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's locked down. They're going to play up. But Brandon Routh, I thought, was awesome uh, because I think for me, my yeah, love he's of... he's a nice kid, too. I like Brandon. Brandon's a nice kid, you know? Yeah. And but, you know, I quite like what Brian Singer did. It was quite an homage to, you know, the the original Supermans. Um, and I quite like they picked up from Superman 2. You know, they didn't pick up from Superman 3 or 4. Uh, they picked up the story of Superman re- re- Returns. Well, Brian, because Brian was very close to Richard Donner. Yeah, you know, but he wasn't a Richard Donner. No matter what he, no, he just uh, he could be his best friend, but he was Richard Donner by a long shot. And and you've already answered my uh, next next question, which which was, do you think the franchise would have been different if Donner stayed on? And I think the answer is a definite yes. Oh, there's no two ways about it. I mean, Gene Hackman never came back. Hackman yeah. never came back when they when they hired Lester. Hackman said, "See you later." You know, yeah. they had enough footage around them, and they just shot around them, and he he wouldn't come back. He said, "You know, no Donner, no." And and in all fairness, see, I I also look at some of the blame I put on Christopher because if Christopher would have stood up and said, "No Donner, no me." Yeah. They would have had no choice but to bring Donner back. You know what I'm I mean, saying? I mean, did it cause quite a lot of uh, tension, you know, when they swapped to Leicester? Well, I almost didn't go back. Yeah. You know, I just, um, I thought it was so disrespectful. And, and, and the way they did it and all, and the, and the reasons that they came up with and was all a bunch of bull, boy, you know, the... Um, he was just Richard was Richard, and you could. I mean, you just the guy's a great director. Why? And, and they, the picture made so much money. Yeah, couldn't cry about what he spent because he never. He was not a, uh, a Spielberg or something that spent hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, Superman one and two. When we did both of them together, and, and I think the picture only cost like fifty million to do both of them. And you know, so they for their for their squawking, they're just they were just very greedy. That's all. Hmm. I mean, talking about um, you know the action of the movie. I mean, there is a lot of action in there with you as well. Out of the scenes that you filmed, uh, which one was your favorite? Um, you know, for the action for none. Wow, that's. Uh... <clears throat> Gotta do so many. Uh, Are you gonna say all of them? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 the one scene I really liked it where, because it showed the real vulnerability of, of non, was when I burned a hole in the for the first time. My eyes worked. 
Oh, with the On yeah, the, the kid. Yeah, I had a little kid next to me. Yeah, you know, I was like a kid learning how to skate or learning how to work his bicycle. You know, then my eyes were working. I oh boy, you know, you got all excited. <laughs> do, you, do you know what? I, I I cheered at that point in the movie because uh, when you tried it on the branch and it didn't work, and I felt like the other two was mocking you. And then when you actually eventually did it on the side side of the truck on on the wood, I cheered, and it's a great scene. It really is. But um, you know the flying part of of the film. I you know I've listened to a lot of interviews of uh, Reeve talk, talking about the flying and and, and Mar- Margot. Um, was it painful at all? Because they actually said that well, quite a lot of it just, was. You know- we, we we broke a technology. We broke a lot of technology rules. You know, yeah. we, um, we they, they today what we did we did all those flying shots and we were flying under bridges and around buildings and stuff and and people said wow didn't you have wires on and stuff and well we didn't we we shot Vista Vision on Vista Vision which meant they put these pole arm we had this big seventy foot screen and they put a pole arm through three pole arms through the screen and there were body molds that we laid in and we had motions that we could do, you know, a drug. So they shot Vista vision on Vista vision. They just shot us right in the movie. Yeah. But it was very long, tedious. And, uh, yeah, Sarah had a lot of back problems from it. And, you know, it, it was just, uh, holding your motion in certain ways for long periods of time. And you're talking like 12, 14-hour days we work, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, talking to Colin Chilvers um, a little while ago, uh, who was the gentleman that was in charge of special effects, and he mentioned the scene where you and Sarah pick up the uh, bus with the people in them. Um, It it, it was explaining how that was done, and it's just marvellous what, you know, it seemed more real, I think, compared to effects now because a lot of cgi i've got to say films of that age um because it's practical effects just gives it a bit more believable uh, you know oh it's, yeah it's, it's no, a lot more believable no the, the, you know the things that we did were y- you could believe like you're saying you know they were just they were humanistically you, you believe they could be done yeah you know and 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 the thing that really the thing that the, the difference between the Superman movies today and the Superman movies we did was like when we picked up that bus and Superman was so upset about don't kill those people. Yeah. You know, he never was killing anybody. He wasn't like the Supermans today that were they're running around killing this and watching this guy die and that guy die. You know, he did everything he could to protect people. Yeah. You know, just like when the helicopter fell off the building and was falling down on a crowd of people and uh, and he soups in and catches it and stuff like that and you know that gave it that was a whole different flavor of the character and and of the film itself you know so no matter what we did to be menacing he was always there to protect people yeah he got in the way of of the menacing you know and so it it, it just put such a realism in in the film it was a, it made his character had that all-American way. And people, you know, Superman was the very first super-American superhero. Certainly was. <laughs> and, and he uh, and he just, and it, they just did it so well. Yeah. that uh, And it's sad that they got away from that. And it got darker and darker and darker. And, you know, it's just really. So we're looking to do, because of the technology that's out there today, yeah. with hologram stuff, We I have an amazing storyline. We're going to, Bring Christopher back on screen. Do you know what I've heard that, and I think that's absolutely going to be just and the three villains, and, and we have a way of uh, doing something that's going to really the fan base is going to go gaga when I put what we're, we're going to. It's going to be great. We get this pulled off, it'll be terrific. And I think with the fan base being what it is, you won't have any issues with uh, getting the backing from everyone. Uh, because I know on a lot, a lot of the Superman groups on Facebook, everyone's backing. I, 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 you know, you've, I've, I've heard you speak of this before, and I, and straight away I heard the buzz behind it, and it's just going to be awesome if it can be done. 
count me in. Oh, it can be done. Uh, you know, it's just getting uh, Warner Brothers to give up a license. And and now they're going through a transition. They're being taken over by AT&T. Yeah. So we're hoping that when the smoke settles, you know, and, and right after this lockdown stuff, we're going to take a great shot at getting a license to do. And, and it'd be great for Warner Brothers because it, uh, Marvel's kicking their butt right now with all this stuff that, you know, all these other villains that they're bringing in from out of space yep. and stuff like that definitely definitely so we're going to put together we're going to, I, I have a, st- a great storyline that, that turns takes the villains out of prison yeah and changes their whole mentality to where they become cohorts of superman oh. and superman now has his own gang wow to fight all these people coming from different planets and stuff like that yeah. you know so it's going to be uh, it's going to be kind of cool. That's, gonna, yeah. that's awesome. Um, you know what? I was speaking to Jeff East uh, a while ago, and he told me to ask you uh, because he said that Jack's got a great story um, regarding uh, apparently um, the first round of checks that got got given to the cast apparently bounced, and oh. and you went <laughs> you went you and sorted it out. <laughs> There's the salt kinds again, right? This is the this is the stuff that they pull. Here you're doing the biggest movie in Hollywood, yeah? yeah. Working on the biggest film in Hollywood, and we had worked like uh, I don't know six or seven weeks, and uh, and it was it was raining every day in in London, and you know, and I said, oh man, I said, you know, I gotta get back to California for a little sunshine, and and I did something that you're not supposed to do: get on a plane and just go. And we had a couple days off. And I said, wow, what a break. And I had another film that I was putting together. And uh, so I, I jumped on a plane and I flew back to L.A. And and when I got to L.A., I, I, you know, I went to the phone. I called my, my accountant. and <clears throat> didn't have cell phones that day, so I used a pay phone. I went to a phone. I called my accountant. I said, okay, I'm in L.A. I said, uh, how much money we got in the bank? We should have a lot of money in the bank. And she said, um, no, Jack, we have a lot of paper. I said, what the hell are you talking about? She said, they, they're they not honoring the checks. Wow. They gave us they gave us what they call nondescript checks. They had no description on the bottom. So the check had to physically go back to the bank in Zurich, and it laid there for a couple months before they were paying them out. And I said, are you kidding me? She said, no, we have a lot of paper. You don't, you don't have the money you think you should have here. So I called from that phone booth, collect, to Pinewood, to Pierce Bangler. And uh, <laughs> he got on the phone and he said, he said, well, what are you doing in California? you got to go to work on Monday. I said, well, you know what? I got this little problem. My uh, doctor tells me that I should stay here and lay in the sun because I got some crink in my lower back. And uh, unless I get some money in my account, I don't think I'm going to be able to get back there until he said, what are you talking? I said, well, I don't know. I've been working all these weeks and, and I got no money in my bank account. All I got is these checks that aren't clear. I'll call you right back. Give me a number. Okay. So he, he, within 15 minutes, he called me back and he said, everything's good. Everything's good. So my accountant called me. She said, I don't know what you did, but, all of a sudden, money appeared in your account. So <laughs> that is shocking. They isn't had it? absolutely shocking. They had flights in those days that they had flights in those days that you could leave. You could leave L.A. like uh, twelve o'clock on a Sunday noontime and arrive at Heathrow at seven in the morning. And so I, I did that. I, I got to, to work on time and, and I walked into the studio and I ran up to Spear Spangler's office and he was just coming back from France where he had to go to Alexander to explain what the problem was. And uh, and Trudy, the poor kid, she was, a, she was his secretary, a sweetheart. And I came in and I said, you know, why, go down and get me something to drink. We, I just got off the plane and I'm all parched. So I had Spangler in, in, in his office by himself and and he said, um, you know, what, what, you know, you can't. Do, do, I said, let me tell you something. I signed a contract to work. I said, if you don't know anything about me, you better get on the phone and find out because you're getting ready to go to my backyard in New York. And I said, and uh, 
you play around with, I said, I, I, I come to work, I do what you ask me to do, and I'm supposed to get paid for it. You know, that's the way the deal in my contract works out. I said, and uh, one more time you do this shit to me, I'll drop you in the Hudson with a camera on your head. <laughs> and I pulled him across the Pull him across the desk, and he said, you're threatening me. I said, no, 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 no. I'm giving you a solemn promise. And I dropped him back in the seat, and he uh, and he actually put that in the in a book, The Making of Superman. Did he really? He actually told the story. Yeah. <laughs> so I dropped him back, and I never, ever had another problem with, it, with, it, with a paycheck. That was what I was going to ask next. I presume you didn't have a problem going, going, no, going forwards from no, there. <laughs> So, so you know, out out of all the cast, I notice you have a very close uh, sort of friendship with Sarah Sarah Douglas, uh, that played Ursa, because um, you know you were set to come over for a convention a few years back to London Comic Con, and and sadly you couldn't make it um, because um, I was hoping to get my Superman poster signed by you because you're well, you're the I, only I person sad. left to sign it. <laughs> It was the first time that the three of us were going to be at a, at a yeah. convention because Terrence never did conventions. No, it was you know, his first could, one. Yeah, he wouldn't do them. And so I, you know, and I was, and I was geared to go there, and I had all these heart things they did. You know, it's like I wasn't allowed to leave the country, but yeah, um, and it was sad because I was looking forward to it. And, and Sarah is a very close friend. I, I love Sarah. Sarah's a good lady. Yeah, I'm chatting to her um, on Wednesday. Um, Sarah, yeah. Oh, she's Sarah, Sarah's lovely. Sarah's absolutely lovely. To be honest, I was scared to meet her for the for the first time. I think from being a child and seeing Ursa and the way she was, she comes across <laughs> quite scary. And I've got to say, it's completely the opposite. She's such a warm, oh, yeah. she's such, such a, a lovable she's such person. An elegant lady. Yeah, she really is. <laughs> so, not only have you been a professional boxer, you've been an actor, and can I just say? I can't believe that you fought with Chuck Norris. I think that's awesome. <laughs> oh, you're in a tower. Yeah. yeah, good. Uh, but you're also an author, um, and you wrote a book called Family Legacy, which is part fiction and part fact. Um, what's the book about? That's, um, I had a very famous father, Albert Anastasia, who was, uh, who was probably the most feared Italian that ever came into America. And he ran a little company in New York called Murder, Inc- Murder Incorporated. Which is very, very famous. <laughs> he was the backbone, and he was the Gambino family. It was his family before they assassinated him. Wow. Um, and Albert was quite a formidable individual. So and what we're doing is we're telling the story of how things really were. You know, there's a lot of truths that never get told, Yeah. especially when it comes to gangsters, you know. And in the beginning, when these guys first put out, came together in America and stuff, you know, they, a lot of the illicit monies that they made, they put back into the growth of a country. They, they, they create a lot of jobs and they, my father ran the waterfront and they were construction companies and they invested in companies and insurance companies and stuff like that to create jobs, to put people to make sure they were working because in the beginning, the government, industry, Organized crime and unions were all partners. Yeah, you know, same as it was in London. Like with the, when the craze, when all they, those guys ran around, they they had a lot of political support behind them because they kept the streets clean. You know what I mean? And it was the same way in America. And these guys had a lot of connections and political connections, and until the Kennedy era, when all of a sudden the government didn't want their partners anymore. So. People got thrown under the bus, and every time they do a gangster movie, they always make it one-sided that these guys are just hooligans and killing people and stuff. And and what they don't depict is that they the only people they killed was their own. The same as the craze over there. They just they only policed themselves. They didn't kill innocent people. They didn't go looking to shoot innocent people walking down the street. You know, and when I was a young lad being raised in Philadelphia. We never locked our front doors. Yeah. You know, put a baby pram outside. No one ever touched it. Children played in the streets from sun up to sundown. No one ever bothered them. There was no drive-by shootings and stuff like that, you know. So it was a whole different way of life. 
And uh, so we're telling that story, and that's what Family Legacy is about. And it's, uh, it shows a whole different uh, light on what people believe to be organized crime. And any plans to make it into a TV series? We're 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 doing a television series and uh, and a film. So oh, we've got three more we got three more books coming, and we're gonna and then we're hooking up. I hooked up with Charlie Luciano's son, and we've got a, his father's book, and so we have a lot of stories that we're gonna tell a lot of truth about, and and it's all good. And, and the first book I wrote goes from my father's death to the Kennedy assassination, and I tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination, which oh. so many people lied about for so long. Do you, know, do, do you know what? I've been to Dallas, and I've been to the Grassy Knoll, and, uh, you know, I've I've read all the conspiracies. I've watched the movies, JFK, and every, every, everything about it, and it's always, always interested me. I think American sort of assass- assassinations in American history, I'm just fascinated with. I went to uh, where Lincoln got shot as well. Um, you know, <laughs> I've been. Uh, well, you know, Dealey Plaza. It took them six months to reroute <laughs> that down Dealey Plaza. Really? And yeah, and the first shot was fired from a cauldron on the right hand side of the road, a sewer cauldron, and it, which they've since filled in. Yeah. And and that cauldron, I could stand up in, and I could walk from the river to the street in that cauldron. That's yeah. how. That's how. Dealey Thing is, for and, for me, uh, you know, the amount of shots that were shot, I remember watching some some something, and and you had an expert uh, marksman, and he even he couldn't do it. It was reload, take the shot, reload, take the shot. So yeah, there's no way. I mean, from the window, first of all, Oswald wasn't even there in the window. Yeah, there was a prison right across right across from the Bird Building, and guys were looking directly into that into that building and there were three men in that window two dark complected guys they were cubans and if you look anybody who knows anything about rifles or 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 shooting that was a mail-ordered rifle that he's had supposedly a bolt action and if you're taking a shot of a thousand feet and you have all the variables that are involved with the wind and the wind derelish in dealey plaza was atrocious yeah, the wind, the car moving on a decline, signs, trees, the whole nine yards. To take a shot like that, first of all, as a marksman, you if you're taking a shot at that distance and those variables, it takes you 60 seconds to arrest your heart because the pulse is in your finger yeah. on the trigger. And to shoot three shots in 28 seconds, forget about it. No, I mean... <laughs> All you're doing is bolt action, firing a gun, bolt action, firing a gun. You're not aiming at anything. You're just making noise, you know. So, uh, so That's... basically, to find out the real, the real uh, story behind the uh, JFK assassination, um, everyone needs to get family legacy, uh, <laughs> and then um, give. Great book. It's a great read, actually. Do you know what? Uh, where 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 can people buy the book from? You go to familylegacythenovel.com. It takes you right to Amazon. Excellent. And you can purchase it right on Amazon. That is wonderful. And do you know if it's available in the UK and across Europe? Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. So there's no excuses. And we're just getting ready to republish it, to be honest with you. Gonna, I'm going to republish a longer version of it. It's, uh, oh, that's awesome. It's, um, and yeah. I wanted to mention that um, coming up very, very soon on, on May the 30th, uh, because this episode's going to come out uh, before then. Um, you are taking part in a virtual Comic Con uh, with Cool Waters Productions. Um, the lovely Derek was chatting to me the other day and telling me about the uh, com- Comic Con, in-house con. Um, have you ever done a virtual Comic Con before? Just did one a week ago. Did you really? So Just did one a week ago just to see how it worked, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, and it was very, very weird because you're you're not seeing people, yeah, you know, <laughs> talking and not seeing people, and you're you're answering them by typing stuff in and stuff like yeah. that. You know, it was kind of a strange experience, and they didn't really have it down pat, so people were getting very confused as to how to work it and stuff. Yeah. You know, 
Hopefully they get a lot of the bugs out of it by the time we do it on the third. Yeah, 30th. I mean, Coolwater Product- Productions are an awesome com- company. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's missing the conventions. And I think this is this idea is fantastic. So you've been joined uh, with Jeff East, Aaron Smolinski that played the baby Clark, uh, and Jeff East that played y- young Clark Kent, and then Sarah Douglas as well. Um, you know, people can go on. And I think Mark McClure is going to do it as well. What's that, sorry? Mark McClure. Mark McClure. Did you mean? Yes. Oh right. Okay. I didn't. I didn't. Didn't re- realize that. I mean, pe- people can visit in-house hyphen. So the middle name, uh, the the middle line. So in-house hyphen con dot com, and um, I'm gonna post a special code because Derek from Cool Waters Productions has given the listeners a special price um, for the convention. Um, so it's going to going to be awesome because I think is is it sixty five dollars for a signed eight by ten and a bit of one on one time with you, Jack. Yeah, I mean it's it's gonna it really is kind of cool because it's you know you you be able to address people worldwide. You know, you're not just in one city. Yeah, and it will give everybody a chance to you know, if they could if they do it as well as they think they have the ability to do it. It should work really well. And have you got any plans on coming over to the UK um, in the future? As soon as we get done this, uh, this non-flying deal, yeah. <laughs> I've got a picture I want to do in Ireland. and uh, So I'll be, I'll be coming into the UK to see Sarah because I want her to go to work for her in, in this picture in Ireland. So Oh, that's wonderful news. Um, Jax, thank you so much for letting me interview you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, what is next? For sure. and what is next for you? What are you? What have you got planned? Well, for? we're we're doing a couple of things. We're we're doing uh, like I said, we're adding, we're doing books for Family Legacy, yep. and we're getting ready to do the film and the television series. We're building an amazing studio in Nevada. Excellent. Uh, which is going to be superb. And uh, and I've got this picture in Ireland called "The Ballad of a Simple Man" that I want to do, and I, I wrote it like forty years ago. And uh, and we're just getting around to we're really getting it done properly, and and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun. You know, we just uh, take it one day at a time. <laughs> but thank you so so much for doing the the the, the interview with me because um, I tried to contact Mark McClure uh, via his agent, and um, he wanted money. <laughs> Believe it or not. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. He is. His agent said he'll owe you. mean you're sending me a check? I didn't know that. <laughs> it's all right. It will bounce. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've been hanging out at the salt guys, Exactly. Man. Exactly. I've learned from the best. Yeah. So, so unfortunately, I don't. I don't think I'll get the chance to uh, in- interview Jimmy Olsen. Uh... <laughs> but yeah. But wow. but you know, I've in- in- interviewed quite quite a few stars, and he's the first first one that's actually. Uh, well, to be honest, I'm sure it's not Mark. I'm, I'm sure it's his agent that's asking for money. Um, yeah, because Mark's a good kid. Yeah. Mark's not. Mark's good. <laughs> I, I like Mark a lot. Actually, he's a good kid. Uh, but, but you look after yourself. Stay, stay safe and healthy, because I want. I, and you do the same. You and your family. Thank you, because I want to see you when over I come in the to UK. The Kingdom, sit down, and have a cup of tea. Yes, a, a yeah, a nice strong cup of British tea. Uh, there you go definitely def, <laughs> definitely Jack look after yourself thank you so much my pleasure you've been listening to Be More Super the podcast it was kind of a crazy fun experience I love the show guys you're awesome listen my whole family loves it man if you enjoyed this episode be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends